0: Everybody, I'm excited to see you here today. Junior Church, 40 years old through 4th grade. Dustin, that's for you. Um, 4 years old through 4th grade, you are dismissed to walk. There are lots of areas, so many areas where we can get information. Now, some of that information is Good. A lot of it seems to be bad, and, and let's just be honest, most of that information is biased. i heard many people talking today about how it is worse. Today is worse than any other time in our history. Worse that you can't trust the news. Worse than that the politicians are not for the people but themselves. Worse than that all you ever hear is bad news. Well, I agree, it does seem to be worse in some of those areas, Mankind has always listened to bad news more than good news. In 1970, so a few years before me, Bill Bailey started a new newspaper in Fair Oaks, California. He founded the newspaper in Sacramento suburb and dedicated to showing that despite many of the stories of doom and gloom in the world, there are positive things which either were ignored or overlooked by the media. Now this is over forty years ago. During the publication run, Bailey said the week they weekly produced one thousand six hundred pages of good news and proved that good news is needed. Then in nineteen seventy two, on April fifth, the headline was The Good Newspaper, which is what he called it, the Good Newspaper, the Good Newspaper It's bad news. It was going out of business after 16 months of fighting the doom and gloom because the publication could not sell enough papers of good news to pay their own bills. Bill Bailey said, we have simply run out of time and money. Um, Our biggest regret is letting down our loyal subscribers and supporters, but if we made just those people a little happier, it would have been worth it. He went on to say the good newspaper was started with a lot of optimism and a little bit of money. And after 16 months of publication, despite the readership in all 50 states and nine foreign countries, we were unable to attract national advertisers that we needed to pay our bills. And so they ended up closing. The idea of trying to focus on just good news popped back up just a couple years ago in 2020 during the quarantine. Actor John Krasinski started a YouTube channel called Some Good News. This news show was dedicated entirely to good news. During its short run, many people watched these videos to share in laughter and uplift their spirits and to celebrate these good news. Krasinski said that he wanted something to help people combat all the negative, all the bad news that was in the world. And yet, like the good newspaper... In 1972, Some Good News also came to a close in May 21 of 2020. Viacom CBS announced it was going to buy and it acquired Some Good News following a bidding war, which the intended of turning the show into a weekly addition to their CBS All Access channel. Krasinski said, hey, this is a great thing. He would step up as host or step down as host but remain as executive producer. But by the end of that same month, Krasinski announced that he and Viacom did, uh, CBS did not move forward with development for the plans, and some good news got some bad news. It keeps happening. People try to focus on really good news, and after so long, because you're swimming upstream, it feels like it stops. Good news is not a naturally occurring phenomenon in this fallen world. Despite the positive feelings it's meant to engender, it seems in our flesh we mistrust. If somebody is only giving you good news, then you're thinking, they're deluded. There's something wrong there. They're not seeing everything, and we don't take it seriously. Many people will scoff and think that it's too good to... Be true, right? Why do we not accept good news? Why do so many people not trust good news? We're in our third sermon on becoming a gift giver. Last week, we looked at Joseph and Mary and saw we need to give God the gift of obedience. Two weeks ago, we looked at Herod about the gift of recognition. To give God recognition, we need to confess who he is to us, to the rest of the world. And the obedience is part of faith and trust. We need to give God these gifts. And today, our gift that we're going to look at giving is a gift that reciprocates back to us. How many of you have ever received a gift that had strings attached? I mean, think about that. And I, I don't mean a puppet. I don't mean you're actually giving them a marionette, okay? I mean a gift that meant you had to do something in return or give something back. Some in-laws have been known to give gifts to their daughter-in-laws. One lady gave her, her daughter-in-law the gift that really wrapped it up, Glade plugins. That way she wouldn't have to worry about covering up the smell when I come over, is what she said. One lady wrote, my mother-in-law has signed me up for a subscription to Weight Watchers and then was kind enough to send me photocopies of her own Weight Watchers guidebook with potential food problems to avoid. Um, some gifts are given so that people will feel indebted to them. There are some bad gifts. We looked at some last year, or last week. This year, we want to make sure we are giving good gifts, not just to each other, to our family and friends. But good gifts to God. And that includes our topic. So we're going to be in chapter 2 of Luke. We're going to park there today. Because there's. this is the most common scriptural reference for the birth of Jesus. Starting in verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields, thereby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today at Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God has pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. Now, real quick, whenever we think of this event, we always think of those pretty angels, you know, they're all flowing robes and they're singing and it's a choir and that is not what scripture says. Did you hear what it said? The armies of heaven. Okay, This messenger was a warrior who came. If I was going I was out at night and a choir popped up, I would not be terrified. I'd be intrigued. oh, That's kind of interesting. There's all these things that used to be a fad, flash mobs. Okay, and so you'd be out somewhere and all of a sudden everybody would start singing and dancing. People were terrified. They were confused. What's going on? And so these soldiers came and told this message. And that's why the shepherds were terrified. Now, with that, they were told some good news. You've all heard the word Gospel. We all talk about the word, the gospel, but do you know what it means? Gospel means the good news. That's basically what it means. And the shepherds were given good news that will bring great joy. But what is this good news? What is this gospel? All throughout the New Testament, you're going to hear the word gospel. We have the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Romans is called the... um, the gospel according to Paul. The good news, the gospel is constantly repeated throughout scripture. So what is it? We'll go back to these angels. The good news, according to the angels that, that spoke to the shepherds that night. The good news is, in verse 11, the Savior has come. And notice he repeats The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord. Three different personifications of this one person. Trying to explain to them who who he is. Verse 12, you will recognize him. Not only has the Savior come, but you will recognize him. Which means you can approach the Savior. You can come near him. You can get close to the Savior. And this is the gift that God gave us this first Christmas. That's not what our sermon series is about. This isn't about what we have received. It's about what we can give God. So what can we give God based on what we learned from these shepherds? What did the shepherds do with the gospel? What did they do with this good news that they were given? First, they responded. The shepherds respond. They left everything they had. Their jobs, their responsibilities... They got up and left it all to go to Jesus. They responded to the gospel. They responded to the gift that God had given them. They left their jobs. What the shepherds gave to Jesus is what we can give, which is a response. We need to respond to the gospel today. For some, for some people even here, you have never responded. To the gospel. Others have responded some time ago, maybe even before I was born. I'll tell you how old you are. But hear me on this when you respond to God, when you respond to the gospel, to the good news, right there, you are giving God a gift. Many times people ask, What does it mean to give my life to Christ? To give myself to God? To give your life to God? We have to look back at the past two sermons. You have to recognize who Jesus is, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior. And you have to obey, which means give him trust and faith. You have to confess and repent. When we give God our lives, we do all these things. When the apostles were preaching to the crowd, the crowd wanted to know, because of this message you've given us, we we want to know what to do. It's in Acts 2, 37 to 38. After hearing the sermon, Peter's words pierced their heart, and the the crowd, they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? How do we respond to this good news? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we, should we do to give our lives to Jesus according to this gospel that Peter just preached? Repent, which we talked at a sermon ago, and be baptized. Peter did not say repent for the remissions of sins. He said repent and... There's a linking word there that I sometimes I wish wasn't there. It'd be just so much easier if I could say, I'm sorry, and move on. But he said repent and be baptized, then you receive the remissions of your sins of forgiveness. They go together, they're bound together. So, why is this baptism? What is baptism? Hear me on this. Baptism is not joining a church. I really want to stress that. Baptism is not becoming a member of a particular assembly or a group. If you've been baptized in another church, you're part of the family of God. You don't have to be baptized to join another church. When you are baptized, you are not just you're not joining St. Joe Church of Christ. What baptism is, is joining into a covenant relationship with our Lord, with Savior, with Jesus Christ. That is what baptism is. A covenant with Jesus. A covenant is a promise, a relationship that you are giving all to something, and a covenant is something that cannot be broken. It is not meant to be broken. Now Peter talked about this in Acts chapter 2, but it wasn't his idea. Peter did not come up with baptism. Matthew 28, Jesus said this in verse 19. Therefore, because of the gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. And how do you make disciples? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commanded this. Jesus knew that the world was bound by the disobedience of Adam, that there was going to be a lot of bad news. Jesus wants to clothe us with his obedience. We are bound by the unrighteousness of Adam because we've all chosen to sin. And Jesus basically is saying, because you are condemned, I am going to give you something that is pure. So when they are baptized, this is what Jesus says, when you are baptized into me, you have my righteousness. I'm going to clothe you in a holiness of myself, and that is how you will say, no longer do you live, but I live within you. It's not based on what you and I can do. I am not good enough to go to heaven. I am not. There is nothing in my in me ever that could make me good enough to go to heaven. My grandma loved me a lot. Okay? you, my grandma Blake, whew, I love the moon. I, was, I think, I'm going to just say it, I was her favorite grandchild. She had a lot. She is in heaven, so she can't dispute it. But no matter how well my grandmother thought of me, it does not mean I was good enough to go to heaven. It has to be only in Jesus. Many ask the question, is baptism important to salvation? Is it just something you do? Is it just part of the act? What is it, Mark 16, 16? Anyone who believes in me, what's the next word? And, it links them together again. Anyone who believes believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. The Bible ties baptism to salvation. It's part of that faith, trust, obedience, confession, and repentance. The Bible says that when we are baptized, we put on Christ. Look what it says, Galatians 3.27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. When we are baptized into Christ, when I was baptized, I stepped into Christ by this covenant water relationship. And I am clothed with him by that baptism. He covers me. He is my good news. He is my righteousness, not me. It is not my holiness, it is his holiness. It is not my purity, it is his purity. When God looks at me, thankfully, he does not see Donnie Goff anymore. When he looks at me, he doesn't see what I used to be. When when God looks at me, he says, there is Jesus living in and through that guy. I people a lot when I meet with them about baptism. I said, when you are baptized, you are going down like Donnie Golf, And when I came up, I was Donnie, sanctified by Christ, redeemed, holy, righteous, pure, and I'll keep going, Golf." And I said, but you can still just call me Donnie. Because I am a new person. I have a new identity, and it's not me. It's Christ in and on me. God doesn't see us. He sees a new creature. He sees a new person. He sees a new son, or a new daughter, 1 Peter 3.20. And that water is a picture of baptism talking, um, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of what Jesus did, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not based on us. When God looks at you, if you've been baptized, if you've given God the gift of your life, He doesn't see your impurities. When He looks at you, He doesn't see your guilt and shame. He doesn't see your despair and hopelessness. Some people say it's not really fair. It's not fair that God would see all that other stuff. But when we chose to sin, and sin is a choice... It's what happens. So without Christ, all he sees is someone going to hell. That's what God sees, and that's not what he wants. Jesus said, I've got something for you. You don't have to go that way. That is why I I say you must be born again, he says. Now watch what happens. He takes away the garment of unholiness and unrighteousness. He takes it far from you. Jesus will take these matters to the cross and there he nails them there so that they can no longer hold power or authority over you. John 8.36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are truly free. When he frees you from the guilt, the punishment, the pain of sin, he frees you completely. Now the shepherds, they responded to the gospel, the good news. They came near to God. They left their world. They entered into the realm of Jesus. They left it all and they ran to go see Jesus. But look what happens when they come into the presence of God. Sorry, verse 17. After seeing him, meaning baby Jesus, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angels had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. The shepherds left their job. They left the flock. They left everything. And they ran to the presence. They responded to the gospel, the good news. But notice what they did next. They returned back to their life. They returned back to everything, but they didn't return the same. On their way back, they told everybody that they could about Jesus. The shepherds gave a response by going to him, and then they gave the gift of testimony. What is the purpose of a testimony? It's to give your side of the account, your side of the story of what has happened or experienced. To share what you know about God. A testimony can only be given by somebody who is a witness. I cannot testify on how to can fruits or vegetables. Do you know why? Never done it. I can read how to do it. I can watch a YouTube video, but that doesn't mean I know how to do it. i have to find somebody who actually knows. I can give you a testimony on how to change the oil in my Yukon. I've done that. I can give you a testimony on how to make different, like, French toast or pancakes. Because I've done that. And I can give you a testimony of what it means to give your life to Christ. To have Him come in and cleanse you. To have Him give you a sense of purpose, freedom. A person who actually knows, experienced, saw, heard, is somebody who can give a testimony. And we also need to give the gift of a testimony to To God. Just like the shepherds, we can give God this gift by telling others about Jesus. Look what it says in Acts 22, verse 15. For you are to be his witnesses, telling everyone what you have seen and heard. For you are, not a few of you, for all of you who have accepted Christ, who have given your life to him, all of you are commanded here to be His witnesses, telling a few people, certain people, the right people. No, this is telling everyone what you've seen, what you've heard, what you know about Christ. We are supposed to tell other people about Jesus. That is part of living the life of faith. That can be hard, difficult, and uneasy. It can be difficult to talk about Jesus. How many of you, um, if you had kids who were several years old now, or maybe you remember, Santa's workshop in the school, where you would take money and buy these little trinkets to give to your friends, family. Okay. Um, Pacey and I would give some money to our kids who would go use my money to buy me a gift. Okay? That's what it is. And I have one of them still. Now, this was given to me in 2015 by Austin. I have one of Brady's too, okay? But uh, this one is a tape measure. It's a level. It has a little pen for a tablet right there so I can take notes. And it says, my dad can fix anything. He was very young and deluded, Apparently. (laughs) Now when he gave this to me, I already had a tape measure. I already had a level. I had a pen and a tablet. I had them all, but now I have them all in one. It's you know, like, hey, you can have this all in one, you can carry it with. and oh it's got a little belt clip so I can carry it with me always. Casey and I gave him a lot more gifts that cost a lot more than this that year. It's no different, though, uh, with our Heavenly Father. He gives us the gospel, which we receive and we should respond to. When we give Him our lives, when we are baptized, when we give Him all of that, look what it says in Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent, each one of you, repent of your sins, and turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift The Holy Spirit. When we are baptized, the Bible says that we receive a gift. I give God the gift of my life and he gives me a gift right back. We receive God living and dwelling within us is what this says. Acts 22 said we are God's witnesses, right? We are supposed to give God the gift of testimony. But that can be so hard for us to talk about God openly, publicly with different people. And yet when we give God the gift of responding to him, responding to the gospel, God ultimately right away gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the ability to give the gift of a testimony. You are not required to give the gift of testimony on your own. Look what it says, Acts 5.32. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, who is given by God to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit is given to us, to those who obey, that was our first servant, the gift of obedience and recognition. God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit when we obey him, which in turn helps us to obey him more and talk about him more and more. Now, how do you think I responded when I got this gift from Austin? Did I look at him and say, I've got a better tape measure already? No. Um. I ooed and awed this thing. This little cheap thing that I've had in my office desk drawer since 2015. I've used it a few times for a tape measure. I've never used it as a level. I've never used the tablet because I want to keep reminding myself, Austin at one time thought my my dad can fix everything. I ooed and awed this. I remember it. It's always there. It's just a reminder of what my son used to think of me. In Luke 15, Jesus gives three illustrations of what was once lost and then found. The point of these illustrations is to show how Jesus seeks after those who are lost. How he sought them. There was a coin. He sought them. Um, Notice what these three stories end with. In Luke 15... Verse 7, in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and heaven straight away. Verse 10, in the same way there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. In verse 32, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found the coin, the sheep, and the son. They were all lost. But when God, when the father figure, the owner found them, there was a celebration. Once this coin, sheep, and son were back, there is a celebration. There is a party. Now, what do you think happens when God, when somebody comes up and they give their life to the gospel, when they give him that gift, what do you think God does? He does not sit there and say, it's about time. He doesn't sit there and say, that's all you've got to offer me. In fact, all of heaven stops to celebrate with Him. When we give the gift of a response of baptism to God, Jesus told us in Luke 15, God has a celebration in heaven. And we need to give the gift of response, the gift of testimony to God, so that there is a party. And when you boil it down, that means we give God the gift of joy. You cannot celebrate with a ho-hum, humbug attitude. That's not a celebration. And you can give God the gift of joy this Christmas. If you've already given your life, if you've already given your life to Christ, are you continually giving him the gift, the gift of testimony, of responding to that gospel? Are you using the gift of the Holy Spirit to give back to God? Are you sharing what God has done in your life? If you've never given your life to Christ, what is keeping you from that today? What is it that is keeping you from responding to the gospel? The good news. Because as it was told to the shepherds, today there is good news, which will be great Joy. Not just joy in heaven. Because when God is joyful, He pours out that joy onto us. He pours out the blessings. If there was one gift that you could give to God, make sure it's this one. Because He keeps reciprocating gifts back to you in response to it. You may think that I don't have much to offer. I don't have much to offer God. Whatever you give him, which is your life, how do you think he's going to be? If a sinful dad who can't fix hardly anything can, ooh and ah, celebrate his son with this cheap plastic thing, how much more is God, the creator of the universe? creator of love and joy. How much more is he going to oo and awe over you? The one he said is precious in his sight. The one he said is worth going to the cross and dying for. We're going to stand now, so if you would stand, we're going to pray and then go into a time of invitation. God, thank you for your son. We thank you that you have given your son, that he would die for us, that he would sacrifice his life, and through that, God, we can praise you. That when we return that gift, when we give our life back to you, you celebrate that. I thank you for the celebration over over my life given to you, over my wife and my childrens, and help us to recognize that that joy that is in you, that spills over and fuels us and gets us going so that we can share that message, that testimony more and more so that we can keep you in a constant celebration of people coming to you. Thank you, God, for loving us, for saving us. And as we come into another time of worship, God, I ask that you would accept this song, that you would accept this as another gift of us praising you and thanking you of who you are To each one of us and to us as corporately as a church. Thank you, God. And in your name we pray. Amen.